the 139th Psalm. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1, and we'll read down to verse number 12. The Word of God says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Let's read those last two verses once again. The psalmist says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, bless your word tonight. I pray, God, that you do in our hearts that which only you can do and that which is most needful. Lord, I confess that I do not know what's taking place in the human hearts in this building tonight. But God, I believe you're a providential God. And I believe you've brought us here tonight for a reason. Lord, I believe you've laid this message on our hearts for a reason. So Father, I pray that we would be surrendered and submissive and receptive to your word as it's preached. And Lord, that your sweet Holy Spirit would have the liberty tonight to move and to work in our midst. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done, will do. But most of all, Lord, we just love and thank you for who you are. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give a particular emphasis to verses number 11 and verse number 12. You see, as you read the 139th Psalm, by the way, which is what I believe to be one of the most beautiful psalms in all the Word of God, you find that the theme is the sovereignty, the foreknowledge and providence of Almighty God. Now, don't let those words scare you tonight. We do have a sovereign God. The Bible says that He doeth whatsoever He will. Now, you say, preacher, are you saying we don't have a free will? No, I never said that. I believe God's so sovereign that He can be sovereign over your free will. And He's sovereign even when we have a free will. And don't be scared of the terminology foreknowledge because God has all knowledge. There's a theological term that's used for it, and it's the word prescience. The notion that God knows all things present, past, and future, and He's known them at all times. And I have no question that the Lord is He that is, 
that was and was not and is. He's the one that died on the cross of Calvary, but he never ceased to exist. He's the one that is raised from the grave with the keys of death and of hell. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the author, he's the finisher, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe the eyes of the Lord run to and fro upon the earth. There's nothing that God doesn't know about. Don't let the term providence upset you or dissettle you, because we do have a providential God. The whole reason there's food on your table is because we have a providential God. Gas in your car, because there's a providential God. He provides, and He's provided for every circumstance and every situation. And so as the psalmist is denoting these thoughts, he speaks of God's knowledge, all the things that God knows, all the places that God is, all the power that God has. And within this passage, can I say to you that there's times when my only sanity is His sovereignty. There's times when my only peace is His providence. And there's times when my only foundation is His foreknowledge. There's times when if I didn't know that God knows what He's doing and that He's on His throne, I don't know if I could function through another day. And the psalmist is relating the impact and the import of the providence and sovereignty of God to those that would sing this psalm. In public worship. Notice some of the things that he says. He says, thou hast searched me and known me. Do you know that God knows you better than you know you? We really, in a sense, we don't know ourselves. I mean, I've heard, you know, I mean, we all know what the bard said, know thyself. You know, we're all aware of of these little trite sayings that the world uses. You know, you've got to know uh, yourself before you can know anybody else. You've got to be comfortable with yourself before you can become. And I understand that. But do you know that the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? I know there's a degree to which we know who and what we are, but let me tell you something. If the pressure was really turned on, we'd be amazed what some of us are capable of. And that's probably starting with me, amen? But the Lord knows us. Notice what he says in verse 2. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. The Lord knows what will put us down. The Lord knows what will lift us up. The Lord knows the motives behind our standing and our sitting. He knows everything of our life. And understandest my thought afar off. You ever feel like God just didn't seem to understand what you were saying? Well, the psalmist says he understands your thought afar off. He's compassed our path, verse 3 tells us, and are lying down and is acquainted with all of our ways. There's nothing you've ever done that God is not conscious of. And the psalmist begins to describe what it would take to flee from the presence of God. And he comes to this conclusion that there's nowhere he could go. There's no depth he could sink to, no height that he could elevate to, no distance that he could run to, no closeness he could hide within. There is no place that he can go where he can escape the presence and the consciousness of God. When he uses the terminology in verse number 9, if I take the wings of the morning, and that same word is used all through the Word of God, but do you know what it denotes? It denotes the idea of dawn. 
In ancient cultures, it was pretty typical for them to always show any deity that uh, that represented the morning as having wings because they uh, noticed the speed with which those first few rays of light would pierce through the darkness of night and break and shine the morning light in a day. And what the psalmist is saying here is if I could take the fastest thing in this world and run away with it, He says, if I could dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. You know, at this time, he's probably talking about the Mediterranean Sea. And he's talking about the west. You know, the sun rises in the east, sits in the west. And so it's almost like the psalmist says, if I could take that light, if I could hitch a ride on that sunlight as it comes over the hill and zooms across this plain and go all the way to the west, past the Mediterranean past borders that I cannot even comprehend. If I could go to the farthest reaches of the earth, the psalmist says, Behold, thou art there. That's a comforting thought today. Now, if you're like Jonah and you're running from God, that's not very comforting. But if you've come to terms with the fact that God is your God and that He has the mastery of your life, that's a comforting thought. And he makes a few statements in verses 11 and 12 concerning darkness. Now, you know, as I thought about this passage of Scripture and I thought about the word darkness, I'll readily confess to you that what I believe the psalmist in a very practical way is saying is he's saying, Lord, if I could hide myself in darkness, you're still there, you can still see me, you're still aware of what I'm doing and what's going on. But could I say to you that I also see in this passage some comforting thoughts concerning the darkness that you and I face in our everyday lives. I already mentioned it, but I'll say it again. Everyone around us struggles on a pretty consistent basis. Maybe a small struggle, maybe a great struggle. Maybe something very public, very keenly aware and prevalent on our minds, or maybe something that they've kept secret. But the fact of the matter is, you live in this world and in this life, you're going to have times of darkness. When I think of darkness in Scripture, I think of three types of darkness. I think of the idea of darkness as it relates to circumstances. You know, there's times in our life when it's like a storm cloud moves in. And it just seems like everything. I mean, can't win for losing. Everything is crumbling. Everything is falling apart. And it seems as though your circumstances cannot get any darker than they are. Could I say that there is a darkness that is related to spiritual perception? Job's chief complaint in the midst of his trial and tragedies and calamities. You know what it was? He said, oh, that I might plead my case before God, that I might meet with Him. If I could just talk to God in the midst of this darkness. He says, if I could just understand what it is that I'm going through, I believe I could bear it a little better. You remember, and I I know I've talked about a lot of these things a lot, but you just bear in. I believe this is what the Lord's mind is for us tonight. So if you've heard it, just pretend I'm that broken record. Amen. Uh, Amen me more just to uh, make your flesh mad. But whenever Paul speaks of his thorn in the flesh, you know what I'm talking about. He says that 
There was sin, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted above measure concerning the revelations which he saw. He says, there was sent this messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he said, three times I prayed and asked God to take it away. And every time the Lord said no. But he says this, he says, the Lord said to me, Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. You know what Paul then says? Paul says, I will happily bear this thorn that God has placed upon me. He said, I'll rejoice that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here Paul is in one of the darkest moments of his life. And he prays and he asks God to change his circumstances. And God doesn't change his circumstances. But you know what he does? He tells Paul why he's suffering. And Paul says, I'll joyfully rejoice in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God had let Paul out of that spiritual perception darkness. Out of the confusion out of the fog. I think of another type of darkness. Not only the darkness of circumstances and the darkness of spiritual perception, but I think of the darkness of sin in the life of a believer. You remember when David had sinned with Bathsheba. And you, and you remember that uh, God came to him through Nathan and pronounced a judgment upon him. And that child died that Bathsheba was with child with. But in the times when that child was sick, before the child died, the Bible tells us that David went and he wept and he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes and he would not eat and he shut himself up and shut himself away. And then that child dies and they come and they tell David, David, your child has died. And David, he washes the ashes off and he takes the sackcloth off and he puts clothes on and he sits down and he eats a meal. He had been in the midst of the darkness of his own sin, but yet God brought him out of it. Now, I'm going to say a word about some of these things here in a moment, but let me just begin by saying we all enter times of darkness. And you live for Christ long enough, you're going to enter a darkness at some point or another that you never signed up or signed on for. You're going to suffer things in your life that you can't figure out. And then it matters whether we believe that He's sovereign or not. Then it matters what we believe about God's power and God's providence. Notice how the psalmist begins these thoughts. Verse 11, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Now, most commentators would have us believe that uh, what he's saying here is in those moments when I say this. But I believe that what God is telling us here is very explicit. And I don't believe it's just a win. And I don't believe he's just saying at those moments. But I think that God's being very specific when he says, if I say this, even the night shall be light about me. Can I say that the first thing we see is the confession of darkness. 
You see, whether you want to admit that trials and struggles come or not, that's not going to change that you're going to have to face them. Whether you want to come to terms with the fact that darkness will shroud your life at times. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're struggling with something. And your way of coping and dealing is to pretend there's nothing wrong. That's not going to make it go away. But instead, the psalmist says, in that time when I confessed the darkness that was surrounding me, he says, that's when things change. We're going to say a lot here in a moment about what God thinks about darkness. But can I just begin by saying that the first step is the admission that you're in darkness. Now, this isn't AA, this isn't a 12-step program, and I'm not trying to make it that. But confession is a biblical principle. Not confession to a priest. Confession to the high priest. Not confession to a human being, but confession to the high priest and apostle of our profession, Jesus Christ. Can I say to you that if you're going to make it through this darkness, the first step is to come to God about it. Notice two things that he's confessing. It's a confession of worry, number one. And I understand there is a fine line between being honest with our situation and being anxious about our situation. I understand that. But the psalmist is saying, if I say, surely darkness shall cover me. That's his worry. That's his concern. He said, what do I do with all this worry, preacher? You take it to the Lord. And tell him about it. We have a bad habit of telling everybody in the world our problems that can't fix it. And not going to the one person that can fix it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a confession of worry, but I believe it's also a confession of weakness. Because the psalmist is saying, Lord, the darkness is coming. It's closing in. And there's nothing that I can do about it. Let me tell you this. I'm thankful that no matter what happens in my life, I've been to Calvary, I've been saved by the grace of God, and that's never going to change. And I'm thankful that my salvation is not based upon my outlook or my attitude. But there is a swallowing up that can take place in a believer's life, wholly apart from their eternal destiny. And I've seen it swallow Christians up. I've seen people get so far in the pit of despair that they just gave up and quit. I've seen Christians get to a place where they just quit trying because their attitude and opinion was what was the point of it. You see, what the psalmist is saying here is there's a real danger of me being covered in this darkness. There's a real danger of me being swallowed up in my misery. And yet we find that this confession is the very doorway to the change that had to take place in this psalmist's life. Notice not only the confession of darkness, but notice the conversion of darkness. He says, if I say this, and not until I say this. Some of us, we're waiting for the darkness to dissipate, but we won't come to the Lord about it. And we're waiting for things just to automatically get better. We don't get it, friend, that God dwells in the darkness isn't that what the psalmist said? He has made darkness his habitation. Maybe God is driving you in the darkness to drive you closer to Himself. We just expect it to go away, but it won't go away till it's accomplished what God has for it to accomplish. 
And so he confesses these things. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me. Notice the next phrase. A change takes place. Even the night shall be light about me. Isn't that what happened in Paul's life? Paul comes to God and confesses his weakness and inability. Three times, Lord, I can't do it. God, I need you to take it away. That'd be a pretty tough thing to do. And let me just preach at the men for a second longer than I'm going to the women tonight. Because us men, we really have a problem with it. We don't like to admit that we can't handle it. We don't like to admit that we're, we're incapable. We're afraid it's a sign of weakness. Let me tell you something, men, it is a sign of weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. We're so worried about being Superman that we forfeited the strength of the God-man. We're so worried about being a rock that we forfeited the sure footing of the rock. He makes this confession. Paul says, I can't do it, God. And I think the Lord may have smiled and said, Paul, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And he says, I will therefore rather glory in my infirmity, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's night changed to day in that moment. You want to know why it is that David got up, cleaned himself off, clothed himself, and went and sat down and ate bread? You know what he says? He says this. He looks at those servants and he says, while the child was with us, who knows whether God might have been merciful. He said, I was in sackcloth and ashes because I was begging God to give us that baby and to leave it with us. He says, but when God took that baby away, God gave me a peace that allowed me. God had been in his down sitting, you see. Now God was in his uprising that allowed me to get up and to face and to go on. You see, if we'll just come to God about it, we'd be amazed how much strength he'll give us to face it. But we've got this pride thing going on where we don't want to come to God about it. Because we'd have to admit that we can't handle it. And the irony of it is the whole reason we're having to face it is so that God can show us that we can't handle it. We see the conversion of darkness. But this blessed my heart when I saw this. And I don't even know how much of this is, is sermon and how much of it is me just saying stuff at you. Amen. But that's okay. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. Let me tell you something, I've read the 139th Psalm I don't know how many times. And it just struck me the other day as I read that, the comfort that that verse is. I know that the psalmist is saying that even in the midst of the darkness, I choose to shroud myself in, Lord, I can't hide from you. But I believe also as it relates to the darkness that we encounter and that we experience through our circumstances, through our spiritual perception, and sometimes through our own sin and stubbornness, God says, I see that darkness. We see the comprehension of darkness. I'm thankful that God doesn't just expect us to ignore the darkness that we go through. I'm glad God doesn't ignore the darkness that we're going through. I'm glad the darkness doesn't hide from Him. 
You know, we, we have a lot of expectations sometimes. Sometimes people put them on us. Sometimes we put them on us. That we're to come in and we're to put on our smile and we're to act like everything's okay. And don't get me wrong, I don't want a bunch of sour folks walking around. And I, I believe we need to rejoice in what God's done for us. But listen, if you're in darkness, you don't have to pretend you're not. Because God doesn't pretend you're not. God doesn't just try to smile away your suffering and sorrow. Let me tell you how serious that the Lord is about being able to empathize with us. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says of Christ, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. Let me ask you something. Was Christ disobedient? No. Christ wasn't disobedient. Was Christ unaware of what it meant to be obedient because He was divine and He was God and His will was in perfect harmony with the Father's will? No, He was aware of what obedience meant because He is omniscient. Why does it say, though He were a son, yet learned He obedience? What it's saying is this. Christ went through that period of being under a schoolmaster, under his parents, growing up, raising up, even though he was God, he went through that. Do you know why? Because you and I are going to go through it. And it's not that he needed to know what it was like, it was that we needed to know that he knows what it's like. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You say, where are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying God thinks empathy is so important that He sent His Son to die for your sins and mine. That's, that's what God thinks about being able to empathize with us, being able to relate to us and connect with us. You see, that's how important it is to God that we be able to look. You know what the Bible says? That we have a faithful high priest. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. You see, what I'm saying this evening is this. Whatever you're going through, you may think God doesn't know about it or doesn't care or doesn't know what it's like, but you're mistaken. You're wrong if you think that. Because the Bible teaches us clearly that the darkness is not hid from him. We see not only the comprehension of darkness, but look at the end, or look at the middle of verse number 12. I like this. He says, but the night shineth as the day. We see the conforming of darkness. Let me tell you, I'm going to go ahead and readily tell you that I can't explain to you everything of what God says here. But I do want to point this out. That typically the absence of light in the night is incidental, whereas the presence of light in the day is deliberate. We talk sometimes about this darkness, but do you know what this darkness actually is? You know what darkness is? I remember hearing, uh, you know, Brother Richard telling a story one time about a friend that he had that had built a, a big house or bought a big house. And, uh, he, you know, it had all these windows all throughout it and said that they were standing there in the living room. And uh, someone said, boy, look at all those windows. And one of them said, yeah, but it lets a lot of dark in at night. And he said, the funny thing is, it almost made sense for a second. <laughs> no, you see, darkness is not really anything but the absence of light. 
That's what darkness is. And so the presence of light denotes the deliberate nature that light carries. Light's there for a reason. And yet the Bible says that the night for the believer shineth as the day. Can I say that just as the good times in your life are deliberate, so the dark times in your life are deliberate. We can't imagine night shining because it typically doesn't shine. And yet God says there is a shining taking place in your life. There is a purpose. There is a deliberate reason for what you're going through. I'm reminded again of Paul. Paul says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Have you ever thought about the fact that the very thing that Paul prayed for God to take away most was the very thing that brought God the most glory in his life? He says, I will glory in mine infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we could preach a whole other sermon about that. I'm not going to tonight. But suffice it to say that God's polishing, God's molding, God's changing you through what you're going through. We've all heard the old story before told, but if you've not, I'll tell it again. Of someone asked Michelangelo one time, after he had sculpted David, and they sat, his famous uh, sculpture of David, they were sitting there admiring it, and someone looked at him and said, Michelangelo, how is it that you sculpt so beautifully? And he said, well, when I first get the boulder, it's nothing but a boulder. He said, but what I try to do is I try to see David. And then I just try to take away everything that's not David. And then all I'm left with is David. You know, that's what God's doing in our lives. He's taking away everything that's not Christ. When he hath tried me, Job said. And by the way, not until he had tried him. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Only through that purification process, I'm saying the night has a purpose. I'll show you one final thing and I'll hush. Notice the conquering of darkness. Look at the end of the verse. It says, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I, I wish I had the wherewithal and the time to talk about the things with the night and the day that in some ways parallel. But I won't do that tonight. I'll just simply say a word about the conquering of darkness. Because the real thrust of what the psalmist is saying, we could maybe say it like this. Night or day, it makes no difference to God. God's still powerful and able to work. I know that you may feel like you're in bondage to what's going on. But understand that God is not bound. I know you may feel as though you are stifled by whatever it is you're going through. But understand that God is not hindered. God's able to work in your life no matter what you're dealing with. No matter what you're going through. There may be some here tonight that's in darkness. I, I don't know. And when I say darkness, I don't mean lost. Maybe there are some that are here that are lost. I hope you get saved before it's everlasting too late. But as I've preached tonight, there may be some that are just in some dark circumstances. And you've not came and confessed your weakness and inability to God and asked Him to intervene. 
Let me just go ahead and tell you, and this may not be, I don't know how Mr. Olstein feel about this, but I don't check with him when I make my outline. But it's not going to change until you do that. It might not even change after you do that as far as your circumstances, but your strength may change. But I'll tell you right now, nothing's ever going to happen until you get alone with God and confess it and take it to Him. That's where it begins. Every step that the Christian takes should begin in the prayer closet. It all begins in that alone time with God.